segment of the population as disposable. They see mm-hmm. them as mm, yeah, well, whatever happens there happens. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not it's supposed to happen there or it's acceptable, it's an acceptable loss if it happens there, but if it creeps out into the white suburbs, or if it no. creeps out into, you know, the the, the old money parts, the old white money parts of town, then it's a crisis and a problem. Welcome in, boys and girls. I'm sorry, we're uh, <laughs> well, we got off to a rocky start. What is that? We're off to a rocky start. We're doing live. We're doing live. Yeah, if it were, if if I thought you were serious, I would be very concerned. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I would be too. Yeah. Uh, I would be a little high strung for it to be screaming about that like in a in a podcast like this. It would be really <laughs> weird. Uh, all right, listen, this is a podcast though. It's Alabama Politics This Week. It's your favorite podcast, Josh Moon and David Person. Man, we are uh, enjoying ourselves. I hope you are as well as you're listening, wherever that may be. Uh, it's hot, so uh, you know I'm in a good mood when it's hot outside. It, uh, when temperature surpasses 90 and the uh, humidity runs up above 100, I'm okay. Yeah, it's, uh, that's my kind of weather. I like it uh, rainforest style. Um, yeah, it's uh, an interesting week. Uh, there's, there's, a lack of, there's a lot of stuff kind of going on, but it's not like there's one major thing to focus on. I guess everybody is still rightfully focused on on what happened in Texas with the shooting and then another mass shooting in Tulsa uh, that occurred on Wednesday evening at a, at a medical facility, apparently because the guy had back pain, uh, was upset mm. with his doctor and medical staff because the back surgery that he had had did not alleviate his back pain to the degree that he was hoping for. Um, and so he snapped, went and bought an AR-15 that day and went to the, went to the facility and shot, uh, killed four people, including himself, uh, mm-hmm. four people and himself. So five total, uh, have died. And, you know, I, I you know, I, yeah, I, I don't, I don't think it's the doors. I, I don't, I don't, I don't think the doors are the problem. Um, you know, I, I don't think it's the mental health that's the problem. Um, I think that we have a, a specific culture problem when the answer to a person's back pain situation is to go out and buy an AR-15, specifically an AR-15 is what he went out to buy. Right. And, and go in and, and your first, and your thought is, I'm just going to go in and shoot everybody. You know, I'm just, that's what I'm going to do. That's what I'm going to, I'm going to go in and shoot everybody. That. I mean, that there's a reason people think certain things, you know, I mean, that this is not a it's not rocket science. This one's not even, you know, you could be an amateur psychologist and figure this out. I'm doing it. You know, I mean, it's we've got a problem in, in, the, in our thinking with this. It's, it's now ingrained itself and we've got to do some things to take a step back. Um, and, and that first step in that is to pass some regulation that lets people know that we are, that this, these are not toys. These are not, this is not games. These are things that you have to take seriously. These are things that you have to learn how to use, uh, you know, and, and we're not doing that. We're not, you know, and th- these idiotic arguments against these things that try to boil it down to, to the tiniest of facts, it, it, stop it. They're not working, you know? 
nothing you've proposed is working. Uh, and, and so now it's time to try the things that we have seen in the past and, that, and in other countries have worked, have pr- produced desired results. Well, um, as, I mean, I think as has been pointed out, Josh, you know, there are, you know, the United States is the only, you know, uh, country in the Western, what we call the Western civilized world that has this, this problem. And mm-hmm. we certainly aren't the only country that, you know, <clears throat> it's not like, you know, um, other places don't have people with mental illnesses mm-hmm. or, you know, uh, so it, it just seems as though, uh, we have, we have a, we have a fascination with guns. We have you know, ready access to all kinds of weapons. And then we do have people who I think, um, you know, are probably somewhere, you know, they're on a spectrum from perhaps being at, at the very mildest. And, you know, maybe they have a a real sense of entitlement and some impulse control all the way to people who, you know, perhaps may be mentally ill, but I would, Mm -hmm. but I would even say this about that. It's a conscious choice that people are making. It's hard Mm -hmm. for me to just say, oh, well, let's just summarize the problem with, oh, well, they're mentally ill, Mm -hmm. you know? So what makes the guy, what makes that guy mentally ill? But you know, we don't we don't say that, you know, the gangbanger who shoots, you know, four or five people in a drive by. We don't say that guy's mentally ill. Yeah. We ascribe criminality to that guy. Mm-hmm. You know, so could it be, you know, in my mind, it, it's 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 criminality, you mm-hmm. know, unless you can provide a mental health diagnosis. Yeah. It's criminality. That's what it is. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I, I started writing a, a column yesterday, and just to be quite honest with you, I fell asleep, and so I didn't finish it. But um, I, um, you know, because I take things very seriously. Um, no, in all honesty, I, it 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 is a very serious column, and it is. Um, I, I just didn't feel like I, I had gotten to the point where I was I was doing some other work, and I was trying to squeeze that in, and it just, I, you know, you, you ever get that way where it's just. You, you know, you're not, you're not writing well, you know, yeah. and it's not, it's not flowing out. And so I, you know, I just, it would be, you know, instead of turning in something that was, you know, way subpar, I just, you know, decided to wrap it up and come back to it later. And, uh, but the, the, the column essentially is, you know, everybody immediately after the, the shooting in Texas and the mention of, of gun regulations, everybody on the right started uh, screaming out Chicago and New York City. Uh, oh, look at all the shootings in Chicago and New York City with their gun laws, you know. Um, you know, first of all, this, a lot of that is just not factually accurate. Um, uh, not to mention you know, that, you know, you take Illinois and New York as states and they are way lower on uh, uh, gun deaths per capita than, than places like Texas and uh, you know, all of these red states where their you know, guns are so loved by everybody. But what gets me about it is... So often when we talk about Chicago and New York City um, and, you know, Milwaukee or wherever, Atlanta or wherever else that people talk about, they speak of it in terms of uh, of gang 
gang members shooting each other with guns, you know, and, and that's where most of those deaths come from, you know, uh, and now only the criminals are going to have guns. And what bothers me about this is, first of all, it's an idiotic argument to say, look at, look at those gun laws and how strict those gun laws are in Chicago and all those people who have weapons. So essentially your argument here is, we have so many guns that a teenager who rarely strays from a 10-block radius can get his hands on a variety of weapons um, despite these strict gun laws. And your argument is we don't have a gun problem? That's the argument against the gun problem argument? You know, that, that doesn't make any sense to me. And, and also, those people dying are human beings. That's right. You know, I, I don't care uh, what, what sort of criminal act that they have committed, um, you know, they're still, they're still a human being. It's somebody's son, somebody's daughter, um, you know, somebody's baby that they mm-hmm. loved at a mm-hmm. time. And, you know, so, I mean, I, it just seems so callous. And we had, there was a mayor in Montgomery um, that dismissed the rising shootings there, saying, well, most of that is just criminals shooting each other. You know, well, man, that's... <laughs> That's still a gun problem, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's still when they have access to weapons that easily, that's still a gun issue. When when their mindset is to go to that gun so easily, that's still a gun problem for you. Yeah. And I also think that it it speaks to a, a, a larger systemic problem and cultural problem, which is, you know, I think the, the powers that be, the political elite, the business elite, mm-hmm. they really do see. Uh, a segment of the population as disposable. They see mm-hmm. them as, mm, yeah, well, whatever happens there happens. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not, it's supposed to happen there or it's acceptable. It's an acceptable loss if it happens there. But if it creeps out into the white suburbs or if it no. creeps out into, you know, the, the, the old money parts, the old white money parts of town, then it's a crisis and a problem. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and it's, you know, we, we in the black community, we look at America and this is what we see time and time again. You know, crack wasn't, crack wasn't a big deal. It was a, it was a black issue. Mm-hmm. It was a crisis in the black community. It was something about, you know, not enough fathers or criminality yeah. or whatever. But then when the opioid epidemic came to oh, be, yeah. then all of a sudden, oh, this is a health crisis. This is a Wait a minute. White crisis. people are dying? What? Yeah, exactly. Boy, look you at know, this health crisis and, we've got on and, our hands. And now we've got to and now we've got to look at this and show some compassion and we've got to you know look at treatment options. And before it was just lock lock these lock these black people up who were starting mm-hmm. out lock them up. Lock yep. up the crackheads. Lock up the crack dealers. You know. Yeah, it's it's crazy, man. There, we there, see the hypocrisy, Josh. Oh, we it, see it's it. it's so. Uh, listen, I'm gonna tell you. Go and spend a little time in Montgomery, Alabama, for a while, and and you will see firsthand the harm that has come from generations of segregating black people from 
the the mainstream of your city. And that's what they've done in Montgomery. And let's never be people that'll argue to your blue in the face, but that's exactly what they've done. They built an interstate right through one of the most pro- prosperous black neighborhoods. They segregated out the bus lines. Uh, you know, then they then they made the bus lines so damn complicated for people in certain parts of the city to get to other parts of the city that they never do it. Uh, there are people who go to school their entire lives in Montgomery and rarely encounter more than a handful of black people. Okay. And, and that's in a majority black county. Okay. Uh, so you, you would think, how is that possible? It is, it is segregated to a degree that it's, it's comical almost if it wasn't so sad, but you end up with these idiotic mindsets about each other uh, on there and you end up harming a whole not multiple generations of people because of the way you've treated them in terms of job availability, education, uh, just basic services, opportunities. Yeah, just drive the roads in Montgomery and look at the difference between West Montgomery roads and East Montgomery roads. I mean, just just do that for a little bit and, and tell me what, what you think the issue is there because it's all tax dollars that's paying for it, you know. Uh, but there was a video that I shared uh, on Facebook, I believe it was yesterday, yeah, Wednesday, of there was a robbery at a Pike Road Dollar General. And Pike Road is a little suburb of Montgomery, just outside of it. They just created their own breakaway school system and whatnot. So it's a white haven out there. Um, and this kid, black kid, uh, allegedly robbed the Dollar General and then fled on foot. Uh, and he was armed with a, with a handgun. And there is video of some guys in a pickup truck chasing after him. Uh, and they are both firing weapons back and forth at each other. Wow. I mean, it is a real life Wild West shootout in a damn residential neighborhood uh, that's going back and forth. And at one point, the kid, I mean, he, was, he is a teenager, I believe, the, the person that they arrested for this, uh, starts to hop a fence and the guys pull up in that truck and they're shooting at him as he's hopping that fence and, and running away from them. And apparently there's not going to be any charges against these people, which is kind of unbelievable to me that you can just pull up and fire at somebody's back into someone's backyard yeah. multiple times. Uh, Cause that's what he was doing. He was jumping a fence into somebody's backyard and they they were firing at him. There's video of this, of them firing a gun at it. And, and it's just, but that's what I'm talking about. It's like, and, and people were cheering this, this act of these guys, oh, look at these heroes chasing, you know, no, no, no. You wouldn't think he was a hero if your child was out in that backyard, you know? Exactly. Um, exactly. And, and, you know, and why, what, it's just, what are we doing? You know, that's, that's the whole thing that gets me is take a step back and look at this situation that we've created. You know, it's, everybody's got a gun. Everybody has got a gun and everybody's uh, firing the guns now at, at everybody else. And it's just, you know, you hear road rage incidents all the time of people pulling out weapons and shooting each other. You know, and it's just the insanity has got to stop at some point. And you're not necessarily safer with a gun. I hate to break this to you. You're not. You've got to know how to use it. You've got to know how to how to handle it. You've got to know how to store it. You've got to you've got to be of a certain mindset to be uh, decent with it in a high pressure situation. And but even but even when you ostensibly have all of that. To your advantage, look at what happened in Texas. Yeah. You had you had police officers and law enforcement people 
who didn't take action. Now, you know, yeah. I know there's some, you know, there's debate about, well, why didn't they and were they mm-hmm. commanded not to and so forth and so on. But you, you can't deny the fact that, you know, there was a point during that situation as it was evolving, <clears throat> pardon me, where um, there were, you know, as, as uh, the news reports indicated, there were young people calling 911 mm-hmm. saying, we are in the school. This guy is shooting. We're in the school. We need to be rescued. Yeah. And nobody did. Yeah. They called Even several the times. Even 911 calls, nobody did. Yeah. yeah. They, they called know? them a bunch of times from inside that, that, those classrooms, from inside the classroom where the guy was. And yeah. uh, it, it, So my feeling is this: all this talk about, you know, of the, you know, the, the well-trained officer, you know, being the best possible way for, you know, these situations to be resolved. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what we hope and pray for. Yeah. But the reality is they're human beings. Yep. And they're subject to the same, you know, miscommunications or misunderstandings or just flat out failures in their training process, you know, or in their in their execution of how they were trained. All of these things are human beings. They're subject to all of that stuff. Yeah. Subject to fear, you know? Yeah. You know, cops get afraid too. You know? That's right. Uh, soldiers get afraid too. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and and you know, I, listen. I, I know a bunch of guys. Um, matter of fact, you know, one of my one of my best friends in, in the in the world. You know, we've been like brothers our entire lives, and um, he was uh, he's done some of the absolute craziest stuff in the military. Um, and I mean, you know, it, it is a. Uh, I would say probably one of the best at, at, at dealing with those high pressure situations and, you know, and, and going into, into homes, tight spaces where they, he know, he knew where, you know, terrorists, real life terrorists were in Iraq and Afghanistan. Um, you know, he was the guy that went in first and, um, you know, and led, led a team of, of guys mm. in you know, for years and years went, went over mm-hmm. yeah, did, I want to say he did 10 tours over there. Some, some wow. just ridiculous number of times he went over to Iraq to Iraq to Iraq and Afghanistan. Um, and so, you know, I, and he'll, he'll tell me, you know, it never got easier. It never, it never became okay. Uh, it always, you know, bothered him. Um, it always scared him to death. Um, and, and he said, you know, and, and he's one of the, one of the biggest worries that he had was you would go into a place and there would be a tense situation and somebody who was an innocent bystander, uh, or a kid would, would get harmed or killed. And it's just, you know, it, it, it happens, you know, in, in such a, uh, a crazy place as that, that, you know, we never should have put him or anybody else into uh, for and especially not for that length of time that we did it to them, um, and, and it you know, but even for a guy like that, it, it's a you know, it's a crazy situation to go into, and you know, I I I, I could not have sat outside, I don't think, um, at that school for seventy seven minutes uh, with those calls coming in from those kids and not done something, but but. I can also appreciate that we have put police officers, 
uh, and law enforcement of all kinds into some very awful situations that they have to deal with now. Um, you know, with these laws, um, a lot of people have brought up the Texas law that uh, that Abbott signed in which, you know, they removed the requirements for permits, uh, you know, and that it kept 30-something thousand Texans from, uh, from obtaining weapons. Uh, we have a similar one here in Alabama that just passed, and it's going to cause you know, problems. It'll cause problems. And, and there will be some deaths because of that bill. Uh, there have been, uh, you talk to any sheriff and they'll, uh, they'll tell you today that uh, not allowing certain people to have a gun permit um, has stopped some people who shouldn't have guns from being able to carry them around. And, yeah. um, and, and you know, and that, those people now have them. And, and that's what I'm talking about with this is it's just, we've reached we've reached this level of insanity with this, with the gun culture that we have and this in which we, we believe somehow that just having it is, is going to protect us from these people that do these awful, awful things. And when in reality, probably the, the more gun regulations that we have and, and the more serious we treat weapons and the more safety measures we put in place and the more protections that we put in place, that's what's actually going to stop all of that. I mean, not all of it. We'll, we'll still have it. But, I mean, that's what's going to slow it down. You know, that's what's going to limit the number of these things that we have is changing this mindset that we have about guns. And I, I just, I, you know, I, I don't know. So people are so dug in on this. And, and it doesn't matter if you tell them, look, you, you, you've got 400 guns. And if we pass what we would like to pass, you're not going to lose a single one of them. You, you could go by 400 more, you know, but it doesn't it doesn't matter. You know, they, they lump it all into gun control, which is a really, you know, I wish I wish people on the left would stop using the term gun control um, because what it's term? become such a negative phrase yeah. at this point. And How would you like for it to be phrased, though? What What's the what's the what's I, the. I, I would like for the people to say, listen, I have ideas, you know, for sensible gun uh, regulations that we uh, can mm-hmm. put in place to slow things down, um, you know, and that's that's what I would like, you know, is, is for them to stop saying because I believe gun control becomes it has become a catch all negative phrase, uh, kind of mm-hmm. like defund the police to, to a degree um, mm-hmm. that has been that's now been co-opted by people on the right and the gun nuts to, to say, oh, he's for gun control, you know, and it's a negative for somebody mm-hmm. where. If, if you just simply say, stop worrying about defining it in a simple term and start saying, no, I want a red flag law that, that allows mental health professionals to, to limit somebody from purchasing weapons. Uh, I want background, universal background checks on all weapon sales and transfers. You know, I want a registry of, of ammunition and, and guns out there so people, somebody in law enforcement could take notice when somebody all of a sudden buys three AR-15s, a pistol, and 1,600 rounds of ammunition. Um, yeah. You know, I like I, the red flag. I like that. Yeah. I like I, that. I, you know, I, I just, I, I just think that there is there. And I would like, I would like for there to be when you go and buy a weapon, at least for the first time, uh, I would like for there to be somebody there that you uh, have to take a course from. Even if it's just an hour for them to show you, here's how the gun fires. Here's the safety. Here's here's how you store it. All right. And and I would also like some storage loss. But, you know, uh, and, and so these are all. But most of these things, most of these things are things that 
responsible gun people do anyway. They all do well, it anyway. Well, you know, the, the thing that <laughs> strikes me is we have so many rules, regulations, and laws related to driving a car. Mm-hmm. So many. And, you know, a car can kill just as, you know, you know, theoretically, a car can kill a bunch of people just like, you know, um, an automatic weapon can. Maybe not in the same way, obviously, but but we know that there have been situations. Well, look at what happened in Charlottesville where that that crazy guy drove mm-hmm. his car into uh, a crowd of people and killed a woman. I mean, so, you know, cars are deadly machines, even though they weren't built to kill. Right. And and we have so many rules and regulations. And yet for something whose specific purpose is to take life, whether that's the life of an animal Mm -hmm. or the life of a human being, we have we try to it's like we're almost trying to just give those away. Just "Eh, take it. Yeah. Piece of candy. Like you go to the doctor's office and get a piece of candy. Go to the gun store. Get a gun. Yeah. I mean, that's a killing machine. Yeah. Oh, it is. It is. It's a it is a killing machine. And you're right. There, there was so uh, there was somebody arguing with me the other day about, um, you know, how I just wanted you to think about uh, if you're if you're talking about limiting weapons, about how many car deaths there are every year. And I was like, oh. Oh, I, I did not realize you were for treating guns the same way as we as we treat cars. Well, I would certainly be happy to have uh, when you go and buy a, a gun for the first time there to be a written test that you have to pass, then a test in which you have to actually perform firing the weapon in front of a licensed instructor, and and then you hey then you got to buy insurance for it. It's mandatory. If you don't, you can lose it and go to jail. You know, I love for there to be insurance for every weapon that everybody bought because that would slow the hell down out of a lot of weapons. And listen, a lot of my insurance agents buddies out there would really love that as well. So if you'd like to sponsor <laughs> Alpha or, you know, State Farm especially, you know, call me, Chris, Paul. Yeah, call. Um, no, listen, it, it is a, um, it, you're right. You're a hundred percent right, man. I mean, it's, you know what? What are we doing? It's a it's a it's a it's a tool to kill somebody with, and and that's all that it is. It's just a tool. Why we have become so infatuated with this object is it's it's. I mean, think of any other object and think of the way that you think about it. And if you thought about it in the same way, so many people think about guns, people would think you were nuts. I mean, they would. If you were on Facebook taking pictures of your damn screen door, your security door out front, or a nice deadbolt, people would think, look at this crazy dude. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah you're right. I mean, it's just, it, right. I mean, I, it's just nuts, man. It's just like, yeah. you know, if you're taking pictures of your hammer, leave this hammer. You know, I mean, it's yeah. just, you know, this is a great drill I got here. It's, it's, people would think you're insane, you know? Uh-huh. Uh, I mean, or if you had like if you had T-shirts made up with, you know, with, with the screwdriver company across, you know what I mean? It's just <laughs> you're, it's so stupid. I mean, really, it's, 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 a, it's a tool to do a job. All right. Uh, whatever that job is, if, if you think it's for for your home safety, I understand it. OK, whatever. Uh, if you're trained and, and everybody is safe with it, then by God, be safe. You know, uh, as Larry David would say, go and be safe. You know, yeah. <laughs> but it's, you know, that's all it is. It's a hunting weapon. It's a, and I, it's people talk about this and Mo Brooks, actually, we're going to talk about later, but yeah. Mo Brooks actually said something on one of his Sunday shows where he said that, um, um, 
he when he was in school, they used to, you know, kids used to come up from duck hunting, you know, with, with shotguns and rifles in their cars. And, and they, they'd go duck hunting before school and then would show up with, the, you know, with the rifles and stuff still in their cars. Hmm. And that's true. It's 100 percent true. And people jumped on him for the, the duck hunting thing and all that because they don't, you know, they're not from the South and they don't really understand that kind of culture of things. But that's 100 percent true. That didn't used to happen. But, you know, the difference is, is that's all they were for. Nobody thought about them for it. it they weren't in love with with a gun like that. You threw it in the back of the truck like you threw a rake in the back of the truck. You know what I mean? Hmm. That's hmm. all it was for. You know, you just did a job with it and then you put it in the back window and hung it up and then you went to school and then later you did the job with it again. It's just that's what they were for. And I don't know why we can't go back to that. Hmm. Well, as we like to say in the country, and I can say that because my mother was raised on a farm, that horse is not only out the barn, it is 12 (laughs) miles down the road, my brother. <laughs> that horse is already glued, my friend. Uh, yeah, you know, that's yeah. even better. But that horse uh, is already glued. I like that. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, let's uh, let's let's slide out of here, I guess, and uh, we'll come back. And I, I'm sorry for the like the like the disappointed. And let's slide out of here. Like we're uh, Philip Ensler's uh, attorney, Philip Ensler, who's running for a house seat, and Montgomery's going to join us. So I'm sure he really appreciates the disappointed lead in. <laughs> I'm coming out. <laughs> Let's get out of here. Philip's coming. <laughs> oh, we're actually very happy about Philip, and uh, yeah. so we'll uh, we'll get him in. Maybe brighten things up a little bit uh, in just a minute. Alabama politics this week. David Person with Alabama Politics this week. You know, you listen to me and Josh every week, and we have a blast as we talk about Alabama politics and culture, and as we interview newsmakers and journalists about Alabama politics and culture. Thanks for your support of this great podcast, and I hope that you will continue to not only listen, but to share it with your friends. And also give us a rating on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you're listening to it. Thanks a lot. All righty. Welcome back. Alabama Politics This Week. Josh Moon, David Person. And we are happy now to have with us Attorney Philip Insler. Um, running, uh, running the good, uh, fighting the good fight is probably, uh, in all likelihood, going to flip a seat from the Republicans over to the Democratic column, um, which is always a good thing uh, and, and very, very rare in this state in uh, his house race against Charlotte Meadows. And, um, you know, just uh, in, in a very, um, you know, a very interesting district uh, now uh, in Montgomery. Um, you know, just I, I guess when you uh, this was kind of the result a little bit uh, of redistricting. Uh, the the way the the district is now drawn and, and you know and rightfully so uh, they had to really carve out a district to to make it possible for Charlotte Meadows to get elected um, anywhere uh, you, you know, I think it only it, it only included her house I think when it was last drawn uh, but it um, you know it it is a um, 
It's a good district. It's a good district where you can do a, a lot of good things. Um, and, you know, just what do you think now, having been out and, and campaigned and talked to a bunch of people, uh, where do you think things stand? Yeah, well, thanks for, for having me on. And, um, right, the numbers are definitely there for the district to flip. Uh, I know people hear it all the time, but it, it is going to come down to turnout and uh, you know, what, what I've been urging people and, and will, you know, continue to beat this drum is that, you know, uh, it's going to take each and every person showing up, you know, to vote, uh, you know, in November to, to make sure that, that we do flip it. Um, but right. I mean, the, the district now, you know, really encompasses a, a, a wide range of Montgomery, uh, everywhere from the most Southern part of the district is Woodley Park and Spring Valley. Um, all the way up to even part of Chisholm. And then in between that, you have uh, the Vaughn Park area um, and then, uh, you know, the Delreda area. So it's really, you know, a, a mix of white, black, you know, uh, working class, you know, uh, you know, middle class, higher income, uh, you know, uh, retirees, you know, younger families. So it, it really does in a lot of ways represent kind of that uh, you know, the, the mix of, of, you know, all of the best of, of Montgomery. Uh, so you know, hearing from people though, you know, they're not, uh, focused on all the, the nonsense that we've seen on the TV ads the last, you know, couple of months, you know, their primary concerns are, you know, that they're living in a safe neighborhood, that they're good schools, you know, that people are treated fairly, you know, that they're access to good jobs, you know, all the things that, that you would think, uh, people running for office and, and, and elected office would focus on. And, you know, finding that that common ground, you know, as, as uh, you know, kind of romantic as that sounds at times, there really is that that shared uh, interest around certain issues in the district. Yeah, you know, I lived there for a number of years um, and and, you know, was I got out and about in the uh, in the community quite a bit with with people who were who were there and, um, you know, and saw a lot of the. um yeah, I guess issues would be the best way to 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 frame it. Uh, just because you know, it there's such a segregation of of everybody at this point. You know, I mean, it's just like there are there really are kind of two Montgomerys uh, to uh, to a large extent. Uh, and I think some people have worked very hard over the course of you know generations uh, to maintain that. Um, but I, I also think that you see kind of the effects of of that of, of kind of the the school system that was uh pushed to the back burner by a lot of people uh and you know and communities that were shut off from access to to a decent education to you know job opportunities to different services um and and you know there there's so i think now there has been more people starting to recognize as uh you know as crime rates go up cuz listen people are going to eat okay and and if they can't, if you don't provide them a pathway uh, to a successful life, and they have failed in in so many uh, ways on that front, in a lot of ways in Montgomery, then you know they're gonna they're gonna figure out other ways to do it, and that's been you know a, a big uh, uh, ripe fertile ground, I think, for for gangs and for uh, for drug uh, distribution and a lot of other illegal activities that put food on tables uh, that would not ordinarily have food on them, and. You know, is it when you look around Montgomery now and you, you know, you're in this, you have you do have this very diverse district uh, of people. Do you feel like that there is more of a mindset, even among the people at the top of the economic ladder now 
to say, we've really screwed this up and we've got to come back and do some some good work here? Um, or are there still troubles in that area? Yeah, no, good, good question. I, I, I've found that more people are, are open to uh, addressing some of those root causes. Um, but I, I, I do find that at times we, and maybe it's just, uh, you know, that we, you know, we meaning people running for office and an elected office and, you know, working with, you know, grassroots leaders, you know, need to do a better job though of also sharing with kind of the, the larger community. Like these are the systemic things that we need to address. And this is how you can go about doing it uh, versus some of the, you know, I think in Montgomery at times we take this kind of band-aid solution approach or kind of a, uh, you know, well, oh, there are charities or philanthropies that, you know, can kind of, you know, fill in here and there. And, you know, don't get me wrong. I mean, that that's incredible work. Um, but right, having more of that innovative kind of imagination and conversation around, well, right, you know, if you have, uh, you know, wraparound services for, you know, children, or you have, you know, high, you know, access to high quality pre-K, or you have, um, you know, programs to work with, with mothers, you know, of newly born children that, you know, if you really get at those, those uh, deeper entrenched issues that, you know, right, have been the, the result of neglect. Um, I think we have to do a better job of saying, hey, right, you know, we can't just do, uh, you know, these small fixes here and there, but we actually uh, you know, can do things in a, in a bigger and bolder way. So, Philip, you, um, you were uh, at one time, you were one of uh, Mayor Reed's top policy advisors. And uh, you, I think the last time we talked to you, that uh, you were just leaving that position. And since it's Pride Month, I wanted to ask you, I wanted to kind of revisit one of the initiatives that you were really pushing for, which is this uh, non-discrimination ordinance that would have given LGBTQ residents of Montgomery broader protections. Uh, what, what are your thoughts about where the city of Montgomery is and where your house district is? Uh, when it comes to the rights and protections that LGBTQ people are asking for and need? Great question. Um, you know, I have found, and, and I think that, that um, you know, a lot of Montgomery, white or black, you know, uh, have firmly held religious beliefs um, and tend to be more conservative on some of those social issues, whether they are Democrat, you know, or Republican. Um, I certainly, you know, respect people's, you know, right to, to, uh, you know, have their religious beliefs, but, um, you know, to me at the end of the day, it, it, it is just about, you know, basic fairness, um, and equality. And, you know, it's not, asking to give special privileges to anyone. It's not asking to, you know, treat anyone in any sort of preferential way. It's just saying, hey, as a community, um, you know, we accept, you know, people for, for who they are. Um, and, and, you know, that I think sends, you know, in the kind of best analogy, you know, I'll give it's almost like a, you know, especially with this non-discrimination ordinance, because it's, there's a lot that's, that's kind of, taken on a life of its own, you know, it's almost like going to a restaurant where there's a, a health rating, you know, and, it, and, you know, you look at it and Hey, if there's a high score, you know, chances are you probably feel better eating there. 
you know, with a non-discrimination ordinance, there are certain practical, you know, legal protection sides to it, but it also signals, you know, to, uh, you know, businesses, especially in corporate America, of, hey, Montgomery is a, a welcoming place. Um, and and you know, if we talk about, um, I think we have to think about it in that way as well, that from, if we really want to move the community forward, if we want to have a larger tax base, if we want to have well-paying jobs, you know, we have to be willing to, you know, show that, hey, we are open to other uh, businesses coming in, uh, but it is, it, it is, I know a, a difficult subject for, um, a lot of people, but, you know, just talking to individuals here, you know, uh, at the end of the day, we all just want to, you know, uh, not be attacked or fired from a job or denied housing because of who we are. Um, yeah. and to me, that's what it, it comes down to. Let me follow up with, uh, a, a sort of a broader diversity question. Um, I keep hearing from people that uh, Montgomery is uh, changing. I know Josh lived there for many years, and I think he's described uh, Montgomery, the current Montgomery that we see today as being a far cry better than the Montgomery of some years ago in terms of diversity. Um, and I've heard this from other people, and then I'm watching as the Equal Justice Initiative continues to expand its footprint there in that city. Um, how do you feel about where Montgomery is on this larger question of diversity, equity, and inclusion, not just for LGBTQ people, but for black people and brown people and indigenous people and others? I think that things are, are moving right in a better direction. And, and you, you know, do see that, um, you know, as far as, as, you know, black entrepreneurs, um, you know, seeing whether it's at the Chamber of Commerce or uh, you know, uh, you know, in other uh, aspects of Montgomery life, that that it is not as um, a, you're seeing kind of a change in 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 representation. I think you know from conversations I have with people that at times some of it is performative and symbolic to just kind of check that box of well, hey, look, you know, we you know have a you know uh, you know kind of met our, our, you know, bare minimum, I don't say quota, but, you know, have done, you know, what, what looks good. Um, you know, and there are things that, that, um, have the, you know, the optics of it look good, you know, when people come together for certain events, um, you know, but, you know, not to be crude about it, but, you know, a friend of mine and I always said, well, hey, unless you're going and, you know, uh, you know, using someone's bathroom in their house and you're, you know, really, you know, in their, the privacy of their home, you know, all of the public stuff, you know, that only goes so far. So I think as far as that level of integration, um, you know, at the end of the day, you see, right. A lot of people that go back, you know, to their respective neighborhoods and schools and, you know, all it takes is going to church on Sunday morning or a football game Friday night to see in a lot of ways, the, the segregation that's still there. And almost says, you know, if the city, um, you know, one of the things that that I was involved in was, you know, changing the procurement process, not to just give lip service to, you know, let's hire, you know, minority and women owned firms, um, but actually have, you know, a process in place to, to you know, train and recruit those firms uh, and really put teeth behind that. Um, and that, you know, that that takes time and, and effort, but we need to have those types of, of you know, wealth changing efforts where it's not just the the optics of, okay, well, you know, we, we look diverse, but actually like, you know, from an economic standpoint, we're empowering people. You're right about the segregation part of it. It was all, man, it's, it's so 
it was so shocking to me. And I think shocking is the right word. Um, uh, when, when I first got to Montgomery and I realized, um, just how segregated things are in the city. Um, and, and listen, I, I, I come from Decatur, Alabama, you know, so I'm not exactly coming to you from, you know, some Mecca of, of, of racial <laughs> equality here. You know what I mean? So, but you know, I, I went to a high school that was, uh, 55, 45 white, black. Um, you know, I grew up playing basketball with, you know, a lot of my friends that I hung out with were black guys, uh, you know, and, uh, and we all, you know, was, they, they were kind of, you know, a lot of them were the popular kids in school, you know, and stuff. And so it was, you know, and so to me, it was just sort of a weird dynamic of, you know, what, you know, and it's like, you know, why, why is this this way? And, and, but it, it's so often, uh, you know, went outside of that that line in, into the into the education, uh, you know, uh, of the of the kids in in, in that city. Um, and and you can drive around and look at you know you know Montgomery Academy and Trinity and uh, you know St James and the other private schools that are there, and uh, you see the the shape of the buildings. And then you drive around, you see you know Sidney Lanier and you know, uh, Robert E Lee, and uh, you know Carver, of course, is, is newer and nicer. But um, you know it, it's the the there's no question you know of of where the money lies there um and and where the resources lie and the pathway that uh that so many kids are on which is an uphill climb for a lot of them and you know you, and there are tons of stories of of kids I, I remember a lady told me one time she was a tutor and um and she was tutoring a kid who was in the 4th grade and who was working on uh college level mathematics uh i mean like serious college level mathematics. And she had submitted some of his work uh, to college professors uh, and they were just astounded by this kid. His mother live, had lived in four different houses, none of which had electricity turned on. Uh, they had moved multiple times. Uh, the last time she had been able to get in contact with him, the mother had disappeared for more than a week and he didn't know where she was. And, um, and so, you know, those sorts of stories, I mean, I, obviously that's a, that's a, you know, a little different because you can clearly see this pathway out for this kid, you know, that he could be a bright star somewhere um, and, and would be. Um, but there are, there are thousands of stories of kids who could do better if given that opportunity. And I, it just, I wonder if there, there certainly was not with your opponent, Charlotte Meadows, there was certainly not the recognition of, uh, of how to fix uh, education and how it would play a role, I believe, in in the betterment of Montgomery. I mean, her answer was to create a charter school that essentially sucked resources away from schools that already didn't have resources. Um, and I, so, what what do you think can be done there at, at from from the state level? From your you know it, when you get this job as as a representative of that district, is there anything that can be done? To, to better the opportunities uh, for those kids that are going to be in Montgomery Public Schools, because there are going to be thousands. No matter what you do, no matter what you know, stupid AAA nonsense, and they take funds away and let you transfer from this school to that school or whatever, there are going to be thousands of kids in what they call failing schools uh, in Montgomery. Um, 
what what can what can be done to better th- those opportunities for those kids so we don't lose those stars uh, that, that we could have? Right, and you know, a lot to a simple it, question, simple question, sure, just yeah, you know. Right. Okay. No, simple, and, and I think the talk, you know, thinking about it from a standpoint of right that it's not. Um, you know, often we talk about, okay, well, if we have, you know, good quality schools and we have good teachers, but it has to, you know, in addition to that has to be that, right. Once that child, you know, leaves school, you know, you know, at home and in the community that, you know, all of those other structures and resources are in place. So, you know, I, I, you know, I'll first start on the education piece, but then I, I, you know, think it, you know, and you made a great point just how interconnected it is. You know, from a, a, and I will give, you know, the state credit for this of, of you know, having high quality pre-K, you know, starting, you know, early on with, with that investment. You know, I, I think the next big step in that, though, is making sure that funding for that is done in an equitable way so that you, know, you have pre-K, you know, uh, you know uh, programs, you know, that are, are directly in, you know, communities to serve, you know, the children who are right there, because then, right, then it gets into, well, transportation barriers. And if someone, you know, if, if a, you know, family is trying to get to work by, you know, a certain time, uh, mm-hmm. but the pre-K is on the other side of town and, you know, all of those other factors, but I think, you know, from very early on, you know, having high quality pre-K, but then, you know, in the K through 12, you know, level that the one size fits all approach of, um, you know, yes, there are certain basic skills and knowledge that, that we all need to learn. But, you know, I think for young people, especially of having, you know, we have to rethink the curriculum and think about, well, are we teaching things that are actually going to inspire them and empower them? Um, you know, I, I, you know, every time we put on the TV and, you know, or look at the news and there's something else about, you know, cryptocurrency or what, you know, Elon Musk is, uh, you know, his next big venture, you know, are we, you know, teaching those types of things to young people, um, so that that way, you know, they're equipped and empowered, you know, for the economy and for the world we live in. So I think that's part of it. And having a diversity of, um, you know, opportunities within the schools, you know, I, look, there are young people who we all know who, you know, they can pick up a phone and fix it in, in 30 seconds. Um, but are we providing that pathway within the school? So I, I think that, you know, all of this, you know, the the, the Literacy Act and, I guess, and the Numeracy Act, I mean, all of those things are, you know, what I would go back to before kind of um, you know, they're, they're trying to, you know, fix, or they're trying to, they're not rethinking or reimagining how we teach is just saying, Hey, this is the system as it is. So I think, you know, that that's a big part of it. Um, but look, we have to, um, you know, also think about though, and I know there's more, you know, you know, it's encouraging here. There's more talk about this, but having mental health counselors in schools, you know, that are separate from academic counselors. And when I taught, you know, at Lee with teach for America, you know, there was one guidance counselor for each grade. And that meant that, you know, you had one guidance counselor that had to handle, you know, uh, transcripts for all the students. They had to, you know, handle social, you know, work-related issues. They had to, you know, handle uh, a whole variety of issues that I think you have to really separate out, you know, what is the mental health counseling side versus the academic counseling side and have that, you know, from an early age. So, you know, certainly from the statewide level, you know, doing that, um, you know, the last point, you know, I'll, I'll say about is that right, you know, within the, the community, um, you know, making sure that uh, that that we have, you know, it's, you know, give an example here within the district, you know, uh, in, in Woodley Park and then in Chisholm, so the most southern northern part, there are baseball fields, you know, great baseball leagues, right? Most the their, you know, majority, if not, you know, completely, you know, 
uh, black, you know, uh, you know, young people that are playing in those leagues, you see a difference in the fields and in, and in the amenities there versus in certain other leagues. So you know, even thinking about, well, hey, you know, are we getting creative with public private partnerships to say, well, hey, major league, you know, and I talk about this a lot, major league baseball, you know, has a players alliance. They've talked a lot about, uh, you know, they, they want to, uh, you know, do more, you know, for, you know, black lives and they want it. So it's like, well, what's, you know, what better place to put some of that money than Alabama. So I say, I'd say that I think that type of approach, even if it's not just the state and state funding, you know, having a, a legislator who is going to say, well, Hey, let's, you know, go out there and try to, you know, bring in more resources. Cause right. Even at a young age, even subconsciously, it's like, if you go to a baseball field to play and, you know, the lights don't work, well, even if in your mind, you know, you're not thinking, well, oh, this is, you know, an inequity, you know, in certain ways, you know, I, I would think a psychologist would say, well, hey, a child is an internalizing that in some ways to say, well, hey, I'm, I'm you know, uh, inferior. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, anyway, I, you know, I can. No, no, I, no, listen, I, I know I know exactly what you're saying. And uh, you know, I've always maintained and, you know, since you're going to be in office, you can you can get this done because uh, you just, you know, you snap your fingers. But if. You opened up the closed community centers and then you put the middle school athletic programs back under uh, the ownership, I guess is the right term or purview or however you want to phrase it, of, of the city parks and rec. Um, I, I bet you over the course of the last 10 to 15 years that we have lost thousands of kids because they did not have a decent place to go to in the afternoons. Uh, they did not have a coach at the middle school level to keep them involved in, uh, in some sort of youth sports uh, because we cut so many of those programs out when it fell out from underneath uh, Parks and Rec. And, you know, that, uh, those, those were things, you know, it's, it's, it's simple. I'm just, I know it costs a ton of money. I know it does. And, and there's not money there. And, uh, but, you know, that's, uh, th th those are things that really help. You know, those are things that are reality that they help. And I, you hate to lean on sports to that degree. But, you know, whatever keeps kids occupied for that period of time and gives them, you know, structure and, uh, you know, a good role model, which, a, a, man, a ton of those coaches are some of the best role models you'll ever have uh, in, in those communities. And uh, but. Yeah. And also, I wouldn't say one of that. You know, I, I kind of dog Charlotte Meadows for the, the charter school uh, thing that she started. Um and, and it's not that she started the charter school, because I think that there are charter schools that could really, really help Montgomery, um, a Jeffrey Canada type model, uh, you know, the Harlem Day School in Montgomery that, that put kids in there and or a LeBron James type public school uh, there that, that worked with the entire community could really, really help Montgomery in a lot of areas. But. I just felt like what she did was such a money grab and, you know, and it was, it's, it's been, you know, the performance speaks for itself. And I, I just have a real problem with that. But, um, and, and, and that's kind of speaks as the last thing. I'm sorry. I know this is me just rambling, but, um, the, I think we see some, the, the, what bothers me most about Montgomery is that there's never a care about what takes place, place in the quote unquote black community of Montgomery until there is crime somewhere in Montgomery um, or just outside in the suburbs of Montgomery. Then all of a sudden, everybody is up in arms about what happened. You know what happened? Look at all this crime. The crime's everywhere. And they're blaming the mayor and they're blaming everybody else instead of taking a look around at what happened. And we just saw this with um, 
uh, this week with a, with a robbery of the Dollar General, or alleged robbery of the Dollar General. Uh, and the guy's chasing a kid through a neighborhood, shooting at him as though he were a, a dog or something, you know. And and they're just firing back and forth. Uh, you know, he look, he shot at them, too. I'm, I'm not excusing him in any way, shape or form. The, you know, if he did what he's alleged to have done, then he should 100 percent be held accountable. And we should put him into the system and hopefully rehabilitate him into some uh, into a productive citizen. But you can't have people in pickup trucks firing into backyards, you know, because they feel like this other person is not worthy uh, in some way. And and I think to me that whole imagery speaks to the mindset that has plagued Montgomery for generations. And you know, I just I guess I'll just leave it there, and you can say whatever you'd like to say. I don't you know it's, I know it's a terrible way to do a question, but it's I, I don't know where where to leave it. Right. No, and, and I know uh, right that uh, there are a lot of very strong you know opinions and thoughts on 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 what happened. Um, you know, I think a key you know, word though that you said was you know was rehabilitation that you know, we we focus so much in there. I completely agree, right? If, if someone uh, you know breaks the law, there 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 have to be consequences. There has to be accountability. But right, the reality is that 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 young man, you know, is going to re-enter society. Uh, you know, if he is is sentenced, and if we don't. Um, provide you know those the services and support to help him then get you know and be on a better path you know the, the chances of recidivism of doing you know going back down that path you know only you know are, are going to happen again so when we talk about crime and wanting to reduce crime um you know there's so much of the focus on you know the the punishment side um which you know yes there's a, a well and that's even that is a key word you know is it punishment or is it just justice but um you know but thinking about right you know are we you know do we have re-entry programs do we have rehab programs do we have um you know a, adequate job training programs and all of those things to make sure that that you know people do you know uh if they do make a a, a wrong decision that they then get on a better path so you know i think that that's vitally important um but you know right we you know, as a community, um, look, I, I can understand, you know, in the moment people are uh, scared or emotions, um, but, you know, right, we cannot have, you know, vigilante justice where, um, you know, people take matters into their own hands, you know, in, in public. And, um, you know, I, I know a lot of these are, are snap decisions and it's, you know, um, in the moment, but, uh, you know, whether we, we saw this in, um, you know, with Ahmaud Arbery or, you know, with Trayvon Martin, that just that mindset at times of, of you know, certain people of, well, you know, I need to, you know, be, you know, uh, you, uh, I can chase them down. I, you know, that that is a, a scary thing. Yeah, no, it is. You're right. And you know, listen, no matter what happens from this point forward with, with that young man that allegedly robbed the Dollar General store, if he's put into the system, it would have been it'll cost us 30 times more to rehabilitate him and to house him. And uh, than it would have had we just done the right things to begin with and given him some sort of an opportunity um, and a pathway out from, you know, uh, an education. You know, Josh, was that kid was he arrested? Yeah, he was. He uh, he was actually shot uh, and he showed up later uh, to a hospital, a rural hospital with a uh, uh, with a gunshot wound. And that's where they arrested him. You know, I just well, 
And I know there's nothing that Philip can do about this. Uh, well, I don't know if he if he maybe he could propose some sort of law that would address this. But I just don't. It's just so troubling to me that, like you said, Josh, you got these people that are shooting. They're untrained, I would assume. I, you know, I, I mean, I would assume um, if they were law enforcement, they would have handled it differently. You know, if they were undercover or off duty or whatever. But even if they were just to shoot, just to shoot kind of recklessly in a neighborhood. Yeah. That's yeah. just, that's it's really just, frightening. That's it's, very it's, frightening. Uh, yeah. It was a, it was a terrible scene. And, um, you know, why were they shooting him? I mean, he's running unless he's shooting at them. Why are they shooting he shot at, at him? him? He shot at them. Uh, I mean, I, I don't, uh, you know, that's what I'm saying. I don't but excuse anybody in for it. Every time somebody shoots at you, is, is, it, yeah. uh, is it a given that you have to no. shoot back? No, you don't. You don't have to, and especially if you're shooting somebody. It, this, it was, you know, just the whole scene was so terrible. It was so terrible. It was. I mean, there's no, there's no good part of it. Um, and you know, I understand if say it comes into somebody's house or you know, or in your backyard and your kids are there, then yeah, you know, people will protect themselves, and I don't begrudge them in any way, shape, or form that. But um, at the same time, it, it just to me, the imagery of it was so troubling. Of of shooting at a kid, you know, jumping over, and I mean, kid, a man, whatever, uh, jumping over a fence, um, and, and you know, as he's running away and into somebody's backyard, it just the the ramifications of that should could have been so awful, you know. And but listen, Philip, I we appreciate it. This has honestly been probably one of the most informative interviews uh, uh, with a candidate. Uh, you know, where we actually drilled down and, and talked about issues that affect real people in the district that that you're running for uh, that I've, I've heard. I mean, I, you know, it's because of my great questions, obviously. But, uh, you know, listen, you were, you were good, too. Uh, I'm, I'm completely joking. I say you can't. It doesn't matter what you ask. If the person that you're asking doesn't know the answer to things and they keep reciting BS like they do in most of these cases, uh, you know, most politicians do, then then you don't have a good conversation. But you didn't, and that's what made it so good because you know the area and you you've studied the issues, and um, and that that's gonna I hope take you a, a long way uh, here, and uh, so good luck to you, and and thank you for coming and, and spending some time. I appreciate it, and uh, right, yeah, don't only have good answers if they're they're good questions to prompt uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, but no, I mean, and and that, and you know, I'll just am I saying this that you know. Um, you know, and I've said this a lot, knocking on doors, you know, and talking to residents because, you know, they, they are very frustrated. With people that run for office promise that they're going to you know do all these things. And, and you know, I, I try to be very honest and say, look, this is where I stand on the issues. These are the things that I would like to see. And right. Ultimately, though, I'm, I would be one, you know, legislator, um, you know, and there's only so much I can do. But right. I, I think that, that, you know, advocating for those things, bringing up, you know, those solutions versus just right all of the noise and, and nonsense um you know the community deserves that and you know deserves solutions you know not just um uh you know kind of cheap talk and uh you know a focus on things that that are are not constructive so i, I appreciate it and uh you no know, thanks for uh you know it, it's always good to be on yeah, well, listen. If they can raise hell about dumb stuff, you can raise hell about good stuff. So you do that and uh, and do and do your best. But yeah, th- thank you for coming on. That is uh, Philip Hensler. Yeah, uh, if you're in Montgomery, uh, d- vote vote for him uh, because it, uh, trust me, you'll be better. You'll be better off with somebody who knows what the hell they're talking about. 
Uh, all right, so we'll be back in a minute to wrap this thing up. Alabama politics this week. Hey, everybody. If you would uh, like an opportunity to interact with us here at uh, Alabama Politics This Week, uh, we've got a great way for you to do that. Uh, shoot a question over to apwproducer at gmail.com. That's apwproducer at gmail.com. Anything about Alabama politics you want to know about, uh, I don't know, what, what everybody likes to drink or uh, where everybody likes to hang out or you know, whatever, whatever your question may be. Uh, what chances the Democrats might have uh, in the uh, the upcoming midterm elections? Uh, shoot us a question over at apwproducer at gmail.com. apwproducer at gmail.com. Thanks. All righty. Welcome back. Alabama Politics This Week. Josh Moon, David Person. We are, uh, you know, really do appreciate uh, Philip Ensler coming on because it was a good conversation. Um, you know, and I, I just happened to, to know a, a good deal about Montgomery and, and a lot of its problems having, you know, worked there and lived there for, for so long. And, you know, when we were talking, we kind of continued the conversation uh, after the interview and then Philip left and then David and I can, you know, kept talking about the education uh, problems in Montgomery. And because I, I do think it's a, it's a case study in, um, in, in the, the harmful effects of segregation on, on schools and on cities overall. And, um, you know, uh, Montgomery is so unique in that um, it took, uh, it had the nation's most private schools for a period of time. And those private schools at, at that time in the 50s, 60s and 70s, up until the 80s, um, when, you know, busing was very popular and all that. And, you know, th- those schools were 99 percent white. The public schools at that time were were majority black, and now it's to the degree that we're we, you're basically going to have segregated schools in Montgomery, far more segregated than they were prior to I think Brown v. Board. Um, I think that they there were probably more, more white kids and black kids going to school together at that time. But um, it, it's um, you see the effects of this on them because you have a school system now in Montgomery that you whittled down to the poorest level of student. That's what populates Montgomery's public schools, traditional public schools, uh, because you've taken out all of the wealthy kids are gone. They, they, they're over in uh, private schools. So, you know, wealthy and even semi-wealthy are, are in private schools around the city. Uh, there, there are a bunch of them. Um, and then uh, they took out the next, 20% or so uh, of kids of their very best students. And they put them segregated them into magnet schools. Um, now this is not segregated on race because there are a number of, of uh, black students and Asian students that are in those uh, magnet schools, but what's left behind at most of the high schools, the traditional high schools and, and other schools in Montgomery public schools are, is the poorest students. There, you know, economically depressed you know, students. And there is no better indicator of, uh, of a school system that's in trouble than a population of students that are very poor. And, you know, because you have so many problems in that. You, you, you don't have parents who can devote the amount of time to, uh, you know, to the, the PTA or hell, even just homework at night. You know, uh, because they're working 
double jobs, you know, and uh, and they're, and they're are, or they're having to work, you know, weird shifts at work. Um, and it just spirals. It just continues this. It just continues to, to grow year after year after year. And that's what creates these overwhelming issues uh, in the system. And, you know, and I know, you know, the, you know, the superintendent who's now in Montgomery. Um, and yeah, um, you know, I, I and, you know, I, I don't know what would be the right term. I, I don't know if you said you you were not necessarily blaming her, but you know, at least placing some blame on her for, for some of this. Well, the, the issues. Well, the way I see it. You know, I mean, obviously, I understand that um, that there's you're talking about systemic things that predate her and and go back, you know, de- probably sure. decades. OK, so, mm-hmm. you know, she can't she certainly can't be held responsible for for the entire lot of the problem. But what I am saying is this, I think and, and I think Dr. Moore is a great person. I've, I've known her for years, haven't talked to her in years, but I've known her for years. Mm-hmm. And. I think it it seems to me like if you, first of all, if you are the one in charge, then when things are going well, you expect to get the credit. So Mm -hmm. if things are not going so well, you should expect to get the blame. That's just fundamentally, you know, I think leadership 101, that's just the way it goes. It's not always fair, but that's just simply the way it is. Point number two, if you see that there are systemic problems, I don't think you can afford to say, and, and I'm going to be very blunt here, especially if those systemic problems involve race in America and you mm-hmm. are a black person in charge with authority. I don't think you can just afford to say, oh, well, you know, this is kind of the way it is and this is the yeah. way it's always been. Oh, hell no. You've got to present an agenda. You've got to come up with an agenda. You've mm-hmm. got to you've got to you've got to implement some kind of strategy. You know, it, and it, and I'm not saying it has to be magical and immediately work, nor am I saying that you have to do it alone. You got community leaders, but you've yeah. got to show some direct interest in trying to attack the systemic problems and the results of these systemic problems, because as we've been talking about, Josh, we're talking about actual human beings. We're talking about children whose futures may well depend on what kinds of strategies and programs you implement. We're talking about families. We're talking about communities. And ultimately, and this is why the city and the county and the state should buy into this, this approach that I'm talking about, we're talking about what can be to the betterment or to the detriment of the capital of the state. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Listen, I, I don't disagree with, with anything you said. I, you know, I, I tend to, I tend to take a much less harsh view of the superintendent and the board of education in Montgomery uh, than, than most people in Montgomery. Um, you know, just because I have seen, you know, kind of what they faced. And I know a lot of those people and the board has changed over so many times. There's been so many different people on the board. Um, And, you know, at this point, 
man, it, it's so honestly, it, it's kind of disheartening um, to be there and to see to see the problems that exist and to try to come up with a solution to those problems, knowing full well that you are not going to get the buy-in from parents because nobody's going to send their kid right now. If they have a choice, nobody's going to send their kid to a school that they feel like is underperforming and unsafe. Um, and, you know, I take, issue a lot of times with the with the safety of the schools um, there. I don't necessarily believe that the most of Montgomery public schools, certainly not. Uh, you know, I know I know not Carver and I know, uh, you know, not Jeff, Jeff Davis, but uh, they the, there was no there's no security real issue. There's no safety issue for most kids in those schools. But, um, you know, they're not going to they're not going to do that. So then you're faced with. All right. So how do I take the limited resources that we have, the lack of parental involvement that we have, and turn that around to a degree that I can get public support for doing more. Right. Um, and, you know, I, I believe a lot of people have tried, but, you know, they, they also have teacher problems because, Nobody wants to go and teach in the in the underperforming schools. Nobody, you know, nobody wants to do these things. Um, and so it because it's hard. It's it's really, really, really freaking hard. You know, it really is. I know, I know a lot of the teachers there that have tried to do this, and it is hard. Um and and it's for not a lot of pay. Um and, and so I I it's it seemed it has always seemed unfair to me to place a, a a big burden of this on or, or any blame really uh, on on those people because they are dealing with the results of you know two generations basically worth of racism and that's what it boils down to that's what it was that's what started this that's what continued it it's racism you know they believe that going to school with black kids was somehow inferior uh and would would hurt them mm-hmm. um and then you know it didn't take much convincing of the next generation to say uh, those black kids are not doing so well and it's just because they're black not because we've been underfunding them for decades you know so, so and so so if i'm a black superintendent and I know that this is the issue, what you've just described, then yeah. then what I sh- it seems to me like a certain portion of my time, if not every day, then certainly every week ought to be allocated specifically to talking to the other black leaders in town. Yes. You know what? You know, we know this problem exists. What can we do about it? What what yes. are some ideas on the table? What resources can we bring to play here? What yes. what's what's your assessment of the of the problem? You know, and and also a part of my time after a certain point, after talking to enough black leaders, uh, and maybe even while talking to other black leaders, I should be signaling to the public that I'm not deaf, blind, and dumb. I mm-hmm. see that there's a problem here. And I'm going mm-hmm. to and I want the community to know that my my intention, my objective is to try to address the problem. And yeah. and by doing it that way, not only am I signaling to the community 
that I'm not just going to be another superintendent who sees the obvious and does nothing. I'm also giving them the opportunity to hold me accountable. Yeah. Which in turn is my internal, uh, helps my internal mechanisms to kick in and say, all right, I put this out there. I really got to do something here. You know, now nobody's saying you're Jesus Christ. You know, you're not going to (laughs) walk on water, but doggone it, you got to try. You got to get out the freaking boat. You got to get out the freaking boat. You do. You do. And, and my, my biggest issue, um, has always been the pie in the sky, um, Pollyannish type attitude of, well, listen, we're just going to turn these things around. We're going to, you know, we're going to have to turn it around and do without there being any real clear plan or objective uh, for these sorts of things. And, uh, you know, I don't doubt the sincerity of the people who want to try to do better. I mean, you know, especially the board members. I mean, my God, they're making $10,000 a year for dealing with that bullshit all the time. I mean, so I don't doubt their sincerity. But what what has always, I, you know, I don't understand at this point in time, given what the reality that you're facing there, uh, why somebody has not said, None of this other stuff is going to work. Okay, guys, we're going to have to figure out a way to do this outside the box in a way. And I I would have proposed, as a matter of fact, I have proposed to a number of people there to follow LeBron James's lead Mm -hmm. on this Mm -hmm. um, and to create a special, not just one, but a bunch of special public schools that serve various communities there that are supported by local businesses uh, that are that receive you know whatever federal grant funding they can get, but that are you you not only just serve the students you you can serve the students uh, from when the, they wake up until they go to bed at night, That's right. basically. And you can serve their parents. You can provide them meals. You can provide them coats. You can provide them job training. You can provide all sorts of different services like he has done in those in the schools in Akron that he has created. Uh, and I guarantee you there are people in Montgomery, white people, black people, all sorts of people who would get behind that and put the money up for this thing. You don't have to call it a charter. It can be a public school. LeBron James' schools are public schools. Yeah, yeah. They can be part of the system that's managed the same way public schools are, held to the same standards as that's public right. schools. That's right. But you do it outside of this box and you serve because you're not going to get it the way it's going. That's right. right? You, you're not going to get it so, throwing 2,000 kids into a, class, into a school every day. It's not. Right. And I think that's an excellent idea. And the fact that not only do you have LeBron James's schools as a model, Jalen Rose has done a similar thing in the Detroit yes. area. Um, I want to say Russell Westbrook has done something similar in the mm-hmm. L.A. area. There are models that you can look at that exist. Yes. And in addition to that, you've got enough people with means who are either native Alabamians or whose careers were shaped by Alabama. You know, mm-hmm. Ben Wallace, Charles Barkley, Tim Cook, uh, Condoleezza Rice. I mean, you could call on some of those people and yeah. say, here's an opportunity for you to help us, not only with a donation of hopefully a generous donation, but also help us draw attention to not just the problem, but the solution. Mm-hmm. You know, yes, th- this is possible. It's doable. What you're describing, yes, is. Josh, is doable. 
It is. It's 100 percent doable. And it's it's just you have to you have to imagine, you know, something outside of, yeah. you know, what you've always done, yeah. you know, and uh, and not be so overwhelmed by these overwhelming problems uh, that are there. I mean, look, I, I don't care how many great teachers you hire and put into those schools there. OK, you, you're not it's 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 probably not going to turn around doing an eight to three day with these kids. It's just, you know, that they, they need, they need something they're not getting. And, you know, I hear, I hear, God, I hear, I I wish I had, Oh, I wish I had a punch in the face for every time I heard somebody say, well, why is it our responsibility to raise somebody else's kids? I mean, do I I really need to explain that now, you know, to to y'all that, you know, do you see what's going on? Do do I really need to explain this? You you know, should people have taken responsibility and and raised their kids the way that you would have raised your kids or how, whatever standard you put on it? Yeah. Yeah. They should have. Well, who are you going to punish? The kid yourself. That's right. You know, that's right. We don't have any more room in the prisons, you know, and we're paying $400 $400 million worth of COVID money plus another $1.5 billion uh, to build some more. And uh, it just seems like at some point we would recognize that there, there might be other ways to do this and, you know, and to, and to go out and get it done. And, and hopefully they will. You know, they, they elected Stephen Reed there, and I think Stephen's a really smart guy. Yeah. Um, and um, um, I, I just I hope that um, that's something that there, – there, man – there's so many good people in that in that city. They really, really are. There are a lot of really good people. Some of my best friends are still there, and mm-hmm. um, I and you know, and I've watched so many kids that God, they should they could have been could have been anything in the world that they wanted to be, and but they were you know just dragged down by uh, poverty, basically poverty. Yeah. yeah, and and racism, uh, you know, um, and uh, speaking of which. We have our right wing nut of the week, or actually, I think David changed the name this week. Uh, this is our asshole of the week. Uh, <laughs> you know, I'm not supposed to use that kind of language in public. I, you did not. I did. Uh, for David's preacher, That's he right. said a hole of the week. My pastor, okay. my pastor, yeah, your will pastor. Not, he will frown at me severely if if he knows yeah. I'm saying that in public. Yeah. yeah, but I'm the heathen, so I can say it. Um, you know, sorry to David's pastor. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, Roger Nichols from uh, Center, Alabama, uh, who is also a county, Cherokee County commissioner there that uh, owns a gun store uh, that has a sign out front in which he uh, routinely, uh, I assume it's him, somebody there at the store goes out and then routinely puts up very controversial political signs. Uh, uh, the one most recently that has gotten him into a bit of hot water uh, is a sign that said, congratulations to George Floyd on two years of sobriety. Mm. Oh, um, God. My you God. know what? That is, it's not, it's not just awful. It is, it is callous. It is, um, Highly offensive to should should, should be highly offensive to everybody. I mean, be. honest to God, yeah. at this point, who out there yeah. does not know somebody that struggled with drug addiction to some some degree or some mm-hmm. level? Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, who doesn't know that? Who mm-hmm. doesn't know a person like that? Hell, I bet somebody working at that store has has struggled with addiction of some sort. Yeah. Uh, 
you tell me. And listen, Somebody. I know Center Alabama. Okay. Yeah. All right. I know Center Alabama. My my dad's family's from there. I used to spend my summers there for weeks at a time. I know that little town. Mm-hmm. All right. You can't tell me somebody over there isn't smoking and don't have a nicotine addiction. Right. So they, they ought to understand addiction to some degree. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, to be that heartless about, you know, my God, I just. Somebody it's, who was is. somebody who was callously killed by a police officer, mm-hmm. and he's going to make a joke about, and, and and not just somebody who was callously killed by a police officer in isolation, but it's part of an overall problem. To me, what he's yeah. really doing, he's not just disrespecting George Floyd and his family. He's not just condoning what happened to George Floyd. To me. He is really celebrating a pattern of belief brutality, which is mm-hmm. another, by extension, it's another way of dehumanizing a group of people simply because he doesn't like their skin color or their ancestry or the fact that they don't conform to some artificial standard that he has. And, it, and like you said, it's beyond callous. And this is probably a guy who goes to church every Sunday and sings hymns, you know? Oh, there's no doubt about it. I mean, a number of the signs that have been out front of the store there have have been, uh, you know, highly offensive to Muslims, mm-hmm. um, you know, for no reason whatsoever. Um, you know, they, of course, made you know a number of jokes about Obama and, uh, you know, his his background and, uh, you know, he was a terrorist and an immigrant and all this sort of thing. And, um, you know, and it, 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 it's, it's all a pattern of racism. You know, it's, it's it's ingrained racism into somebody who would I guarantee you would guarantee you would tell you straight to your face that he's not a racist. Oh, of course right? he would. Yeah. Uh, a great Christian, not a racist at all. Um, but this is racism. I mean, it's, it's all it is. That's I mean, it's just flat out racism. And um, you know, to to be able to be so blinded by that uh, hatred of of a person's skin color, you know, like, and just really take a step back sometime and really think about that. That you hate people because so the people out there that hate somebody because of their skin color, um, you know that that you you make this offensive sign out in front of your business, you know, and you know, and, they, and he's listen, he's a local veterinarian there too, runs a veterinarian business in center, um, also um, is a county commissioner in charge of doling out tens of millions of dollars mm. um, every year to people, uh, you know, that comes from, from state taxpayer dollars. Um, and so I, I think we can all imagine that those probably aren't being doled out very equitably by uh, by Mr. Nichols. Well, um, I would certainly, you know, I would certainly have my doubts about it. I wonder how he would feel if somebody put up a sign in front of their business about uh, the the cop that killed uh, uh, that killed George Floyd, saying something like, "Gee, I hope that guy's enjoying his uh, his uh, paid vacation," you know, courtesy yeah. of the state. Of Minnesota, I bet he'd be in an uproar about that and think the person probably ought to be prosecuted, you know? Yeah, I probably would. I mean, you know, it's uh, it it just is a um, it's just such a selfish, self-righteous, you know, attitude that that kind of permeates people like that. And it just, you know, the, the because it's all, you know, straight white male, you know, Christian kind of thing. You know, and it's and that's what's right. And that's what's holy. And it doesn't matter what we say. You know, it it just that sort of thing. It's 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 honestly fairly disgusting. And, you know, I, I, I'll, I'll say this. I was very, very, very pleased 
at the, when I posted it and I saw some other people post this, the, the picture of this sign and share my post as well. I was very, very pleased by the number of people, you know, really, really white people. <laughs> I mean, really white mm-hmm. people that were outraged by this mm-hmm. uh, and said that it was, it, it was way over the line, uh, that it was racism, that it was, uh, it was offensive to people who have someone who had struggled with addiction, uh, that it was, uh, that they would never do business with him again in any of his businesses and they would vote against him uh, in, in any upcoming race. And that was, uh, those were a number of those people were from Cherokee County and from center. Um, nice. And, you know, I, I, I would guarantee you all, almost all of them are Republicans. Um, and, you know, uh, I, and, and so maybe it gave me a little bit of hope, you know, despite the fact that we have this guy brazen enough to do this complete horseshit, uh, right. it at least gave me some hope that there are a lot of other people, maybe, you know, the, the less vocal majority out there that are, that are kind of sick of this, you know, and, and they would like to see a change and, and hopefully they'll, they'll start voting that way. Yeah. Uh, I think there are a lot of, I think there are a lot of, uh, people who I may disagree with politically, but they're, they're still fundamentally decent people, you know? Yeah. And, and, and for them, something like that crosses a line. We yes. may not agree on, you know, politics or, or even biblical interpretation and application of some things and whatnot, but we can agree that we should be decent. We should be kind. Yeah. We should be loving, you know, as a, and that ought to be what we aspire to. We're not perfect. We won't always get there, but that's what we should aspire to be. And, yeah. and clearly what this guy is representing and presenting to the public is not decent, kind or loving, period. No. No, it's not. It's not. And you're you're right about that. And and, and I I would so love it if we could get back to uh to a politics that was um based based on economic policy, essentially, you know, and, and what you believed in terms of economic policy and what was right and wrong in that that regard. Uh, and that's how we defined uh, conservative and liberal uh, instead of these stupid culture wars that only serve to tear somebody down. You know, yeah. and, and and when I say war, that implies that there are there's two sides participating in a in a war that's tearing people down. One side's not. All right. One side is not participating or they're not tearing anybody down. All right. And and so um, I, I just I just wish, though, that we could move away from that. So we would stop being stuck in these things where we have to defend uh, against people who are berating, you know, addiction survivors or, or you know, people who had suffered from addiction or, uh, you know, berating uh, trans kids or, or berating, you know, gay marriage or, you know, what just. All of these things, you know, that that we could we could move away from and just let people live their lives and and we could have you know, some, some level of peace out, out of this, but Amen. you know, it's not what gets the votes, man. You know, mm. you got to stir up the emotions and, uh, and God forbid we just focus on a conversation like we had with, uh, with Philip and, mm. you know, just trying to figure out the best way to serve people that are, that are struggling. So, yeah. mm. all right. Well, on that happy note, let's, uh, slide <laughs> ourselves out of here and, uh, we'll, uh, you know, God just have a, have a fun weekend out there in the heat. Enjoy it as much as I will, okay? Try to, at least. <laughs> Hopefully that humidity hits 100. All right. Oh, till next no. week. Y'all be safe. <laughs> humidity hits 100? What? That's right, baby. I'm looking for 105. Oh, my goodness. Oh, boy. All right. I love it. <laughs>